0: Now this man acquired a field, with the reward of his wickedness. And falling headlong, he burst open in the middle, and all his bowels gushed out. This became known to all the residents of Jerusalem, so that the field was called in their language, Hakeldama, that is, field of blood. So died Judas Iscariot the betrayer of Jesus, according to the book of Acts. But that story has created a few problems down through the centuries because, of course, there is another story of the death of Judas that is told in the Gospel of Matthew. That story also includes a field of blood, but otherwise seems to contradict the story in the book of Acts. In Matthew... Judas hangs himself, rather than sort of spontaneously exploding as he does in the Acts. Also, Judas doesn't buy the field, but somebody else does. Because of this pretty clear contradiction, the passage has become a bit of a battleground for those who want to take the Bible entirely literally. And so people have made the argument that the two stories don't actually contradict each other if you just push a little bit. The reconstructed non-contradictory story that I've heard goes like this. Judas did hang himself from a tree, like it says in Matthew, but he didn't die that way because the branch broke and he fell headlong to the ground. And then he blew up just like it says in the book of Acts. And I will admit that that is kind of an ingenious way to get rid of the contradiction. But to my mind, that is a deeply unbiblical way to read these passages. Basically, you have just twisted both accounts so much to make them fit together that they no longer resemble the original story told by each author. You have decided that the harmonized version is more important than the unique voice and story of each author. And to my mind, that does not respect the original authors, and thus it doesn't respect the Bible. So here is what I think is necessary. The story of the death of Judas that is told in the book of Acts has been compromised by people's efforts to twist it so that it doesn't contradict the story in the Gospel of Matthew. So I want to honor the Bible by recovering that original story as it may have functioned for the early church without the interference of those who would twist it. This is Retelling the Bible. Episode 5.8 Judas bought a field Joseph sold one At the end of a long day's labor, many of the people who passed through the narrow streets of Jerusalem were making their way towards one particular house. Some of them were slaves who worked in the homes of wealthy citizens. A few of them had shops and stalls that they tended, but most were really went out every morning with very little idea of what sort of work they might be doing that day. They went to the marketplaces with the intention of hiring themselves out to work on some building site or work in someone's field just outside the walls. They took whatever jobs they could get. And for a full day's work, They could be paid as much as a denarius. Of course, many days there was no work to be had. And sometimes some of them also found that people didn't want to hire them because they came from Galilee and spoke with a strange accent. So there were a fair number who were coming home that evening with nothing in their purse. Nevertheless, all of them, whether they had worked hard and sweated in the fields or workhouses, or whether they had languished in the marketplaces, had faced everything with a light heart, and often enough with a song on their lips, because of where they were going now, and what it meant to them. As they entered the door of the house, They all took out whatever they had earned or bartered for during the day and joyfully gave it over to the man who stood just inside the door. He offered to each one a blessing that was immediately returned. As they moved into the open-air courtyard beyond, their noses twitched and their stomachs growled when they saw the piles of bread and the dried fish. There were some olives and dried figs as well, as several skins of cheap wine. There was even a hearty stew that had been made with barley, beef, and vegetables. They smiled and glanced at each other, as some remarked in wonder, "'The Lord has provided yet again!' just as he promised. Praise the Lord. Others responded. When everyone had finally arrived, one of the leaders stepped forward and took one of the loaves. When we were with him in Galilee, the man began. We traveled all over the countryside with almost nothing, no staff, No bread, no bag, nor money, not even an extra tunic. And I sometimes worried, we all did, that we would go so hungry that we wouldn't make it. But Jesus promised us that if we would only trust our Father in heaven, we would always have enough. And I'm not saying that we always had meals as good as the one you're going to enjoy tonight. But it is true. There was always enough. And every time we stopped, at the end of the day, no matter how much food there was, everyone was welcomed at the table, whether they had brought anything or not. And he always took a loaf of bread. And he thanked God for the gift before he broke it. And he gave it out to everyone. And it was that simple meal, repeated again and again, that formed us into something special. And with that, the man broke the bread some people came forward to distribute it and the feast began. Once all had eaten their fill, they settled in contentedly to hear a message from one of the leaders. Usually one of those who had been with Jesus from the very beginning would come forward and tell a story of a miraculous healing or would repeat one of the stories that Jesus had told while explaining how it applied to what was happening in the world. But they had been promised that on this night a special request would finally be answered. The sisters and brothers had heard the story Of how Jesus had died many times. It was a horrible and yet beautiful story all at once. But they always wanted to know how it had come to pass that Jesus had been arrested. They had heard that he had been betrayed. They even knew the name of the betrayer, Judas. But no one seemed to know what had happened to the man after he had acted so treacherously. The story seemed incomplete. As much as the apostles had been with Jesus almost constantly during his ministry, they had not been able to witness everything about his life, and especially about his death. They had neither been able to listen in on whatever trials had been conducted, nor on the plots that had been hatched by his enemies. In the same way, they had not been able to observe what had happened to Judas. But that did not mean that they could not answer the question. There were two things that allowed them to fill in the gaps in the story of Jesus. First of all, they knew that the scriptures had laid out just about everything that was supposed to happen to the Messiah. So, when they found anything in what would someday come to be called the Old Testament, anything that seemed to fit the details of Jesus' life, Well, they knew that they could be certain that that was how it had actually happened. This was how they were sure, for one thing, that it had been Judas who had betrayed Jesus. For was there not a story in the book of Genesis of how Judas, or Judah in Hebrew, one of the sons of Jacob, had come up with a plot to sell his brother Joseph to some foreigners for a sum of money. Surely that was a prophecy about Jesus and so it must have been fulfilled when Jesus was betrayed. The other source that the Apostles could rely on was the Holy Spirit who would guide and inspire them. When they opened their hearts they could be sure that the Spirit would lead them towards the truth of all things. So, the apostles had studied the scriptures, and they had opened their hearts to the Holy Spirit. And tonight, tonight they would tell the people what had been revealed to them concerning this Judas. Judas. But first, the apostle announced, there was going to be a very special presentation. He went and took a seat, as another man in the gathered group rose and came forward. It was Joseph, a member of the tribe of Levi and a native of the island of Cyprus he had been a part of this growing community that gathered in this house for a few months. In that time, the gregarious and generous man had come to be well known and loved by all. So they all greeted him warmly and then quietly waited to hear what he might have to say. My dear Sisters and brothers, he began, I know that you are amazed, as am I, by how the God who raised our Lord Jesus from the dead also provides for us our daily bread whenever we gather. These are the miracles by which God creates our community, and it is marvelous in our sight. You know very well that the money that you share from your daily labors is not sufficient to cover all that is provided, as well as the other things that are necessary to our common life. The other day, as I was thanking God for this miraculous provision and marveling at how it was possible, the Lord spoke to me. He gave me the conviction that I was to be a part of that miracle. He set me to thinking about a piece of property, a field, that I had inherited from my Father. The Holy Spirit has revealed to me that that field no longer belongs to me. It belongs to Jesus, who has now claimed, all of me. And so it is a part of God's provision for this community. So I went out, and I sold that field, and I have brought the money that I gained, and I have laid it here at the feet of the apostles. It is what has provided your feast this evening and it will continue to do so for many evenings yet to come. The whole group cheered this surprising and heartwarming announcement as Joseph returned to his seat, and an apostle stepped forward. We rejoice in our brother Joseph today. You all know what an incredible blessing he has been to our community And this is made all more certain today. In fact, we have decided that he deserves a new name. We think that he should be called the Son of Encouragement. The whole group clearly agreed with this idea. And they took up the new name as a chant in their native Aramaic tongue, Barnabas. Barnabas, they cried. And indeed, the name of Barnabas did stick to Joseph from that day forward. Finally, the time had come. The apostles sat in front of the gathered community, and hugged his knees as he began to tell the story. who can say why someone would choose to betray our Lord to hand him over to those who sought his death? We only know that in this city both Herod and Pontius Pilate, with the Gentiles and the peoples of Israel, gathered together against God's holy servant, Jesus, to do whatever God's hand and plan had predestined to take place. And was Judas's role also so predestined? Perhaps. But surely Satan must have entered into him to make such a thing possible. But this is what happened to him. After he carried out his unspeakable betrayal. He was paid, and paid handsomely, and he looked about to try and decide what he should do with his ill-gotten gains. He went out, and he found a field. You know that field, just outside of the city to the south, the one where the soil is all red. Well, Judas went, and he bought that field. And then he thought that he was content and secure, that his field would provide him with all that he needed for the rest of his life. But know this, God is not mocked the very day that he took possession of his field he walked into it and as he walked he tripped on a root and he fell headlong and such was the wickedness and the greed inside of him that his middle began to swell up until finally it burst and blew up and his entrails flew all over that field that he had bought—a field of blood. And that is how that piece of land shall be known from now on." The company stirred as they heard this harrowing tale. It was very disturbing. but it also seemed so fitting for one who had carried out such a crime only to enrich himself. The Apostle continued. Tonight you have heard the story of two men. One who bought a field and one who sold one. And in the difference between these two men, between Judas and Joseph, you will find the answer to the question that many of you have been asking me. What difference does it make if Jesus really rose from the dead? Judas died without knowledge or belief in the resurrection of our Lord. And without that knowledge, he could have no hope or security beyond this present world system. For this reason, he knew that he had to have property and that he had to have it at any cost, even at the cost of the life of his friend. And Lord he thought that that property could make him safe but God thought differently and we all see the folly of the choice that he made but Joseph here lives with the knowledge and reality of the resurrection of Jesus for this reason he knows that nothing nothing has more value than the community of the resurrected one. Nor can anything else give him any security in this world, or in any world. And so, for Joseph, the field that he had was of little worth in comparison, and he has chosen to act accordingly. That is the difference that the resurrection of Jesus makes for us all. The simple truth is that there are two stories, two very different stories, about the death of Judas in the bible and perhaps you can almost by sheer force of will somehow manage to make them not contradict each other but if you do you end up twisting what the original authors actually wrote and missing much of what they were trying to say And I have too much respect for the Bible to twist it to suit my own needs. As a result of these attempts to reconcile two different accounts, what has often happened is that people have tried to downplay the fact that, according to Acts, Judas bought the field, because that contradicts what it says in Matthew. And that has made us miss a key part of the story of the book of Acts. Because I don't think that it is just by chance that in the first chapter of Acts, somebody buys a field, and then, three chapters later, somebody sells one. That simple contrast is meant to illustrate so much what it meant to the church of that age to know and believe that Jesus had really risen from the dead. To miss that might be to miss the entire reason why the book of Acts was even written. That is it for this episode of Retelling the Bible. Please subscribe so you can get the next episode in a couple of weeks. A five-star rating and review on Apple Podcasts or some other podcasting platform is a great way to help other people find this podcast. The theme music for the podcast is Ah Da" by Kevin McLeod. It is licensed under the Creative Commons and can be found at incompetech.com. The mood music for this episode is Star Traders Hollow by Mercy Rock. Follow Mercy Rock on Spotify or wherever music is streamed. You can contact me on Twitter at Retelling Bible, on the Facebook page, Retelling the Bible. Show notes for this episode have been posted at retellingthebible.wordpress.com. This is Retelling the Bible, and I have been your storyteller, W. Scott McCandless.